Well, Happy New Year to you all. I haven't seen some of you since last year. <laughs> I had to get that one in. Well, the commencement of a new year for some is marked by excitement. Excitement over the possibility of new relationships, new opportunities, new experiences, new joys. For others, the commencement of a new year is marked by anxiety. Anxiety over what was previously lost, and the effects of that going forward. Anxiety over what losses we may encounter in the coming year. Anxiety over new pains, new sorrows, new disappointments, new questions about what's next in life. The reality is that from a human perspective, there are many different variables that contribute to the story of our lives. Yes, our choices. Yes, the choices of others. Yes, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yes, natural disasters, and we could go on. Ultimately, we believe that God is sovereign over all these things. In other words, our choices, the choices of others, the circumstances we find ourselves in, and yes, even the force of nature, are all under the sovereign control of the creator of the universe. But it is for that very reason that God is sovereign, that he does rule over all things, that he has absolute authority over our lives, that he will ultimately judge our lives. It is for that very reason that the choices we make, the decisions that we make in life, become even more significant. The book of Ecclesiastes is a writing of Solomon as he considered what he called the vanity of life. He considered various aspects of life under the sun, meaning life lived apart from faith in God, versus life under heaven, meaning life lived in submission to God. He ends that writing with the following words. He says in chapter 12, at the end, the end of the matter all has been heard. The end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. R.C. Sproul said it this way. Because God reigns, everything that happens today has consequences that last well into eternity. The point is that God is eternal. God is the eternal ruler. His rule and reign are eternal. Thus, he will bring all things into judgment. Solomon said, even every secret thing, every thought, every word, every deed, he will bring all things into judgment, whether good or evil. Therefore, everything that happens, including and especially our choices, have consequences that will last well into eternity. We cannot control all things in this new year, just like last year. We have no control over whether or not we or a loved one suffers a sudden bout of sickness or illness. We cannot control whether our job remains as it has been or whether we'll lose it. We cannot control the path of a drunk driver's vehicle that swerves into the wrong lane. But we can control how we respond to those things. We can control what we choose to do either before or after such events occur. We can control the choices that we make daily, understanding that whatever choices we make will have eternal consequences in a world in which God is sovereign. And for that reason, we need wisdom. 
for the next four weeks, even as we as a church celebrate 100 years of ministry in Catonsville this year, and as we as a congregation have some significant decisions to make concerning the next 100 years, we'll be surveying some of the introductory chapters of the Proverbs in order to glean wisdom from the Word of God. We desperately need his wisdom, even as we know that our decisions as a church, just as our decisions as individuals, will have consequences far beyond the next 100 years if the Lord tarries and ultimately on into eternity. This morning we'll consider the introduction to the Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't. I preached from Proverbs a little bit earlier last year, um, on Father's Day, I think it was, preached from chapter 1, verses 8 through the following, so we kind of glossed over the introduction. I want to go back and take a little bit of time just to, to look at the introduction, because I think there's some good things for us to consider as we think about what wisdom is and how it is, a, it is taught in the book of Proverbs. Well, I'm going to read for us Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And then we'll have a brief prayer and we'll look in more detail. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father, again, we thank you for being able to come before you. We thank you for your word, which is truth, which Jesus says sanctifies us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively as we look into your word, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. The first seven verses provide an introduction to the whole book of the Proverbs and the answer is three broad questions. First, who wrote the Proverbs? We'll see that in verse one. Second, why was the Proverbs written? That's in verses 2 through 6. And third, and probably the most important, who needs wisdom? That's in verse 7. Let's look at that first question, who wrote the Proverbs? Again, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, the Proverbs were largely written by Solomon. That's why his name takes the lead. Um, he's given a place of prominence. There are some other writers of the Proverbs as we work through um, closer toward the, the end of the Proverbs, there are a number of other authors who contributed as well. But generally speaking, the Proverbs are attributed to Solomon because he wrote a great deal of them. Uh, as you read through the Proverbs, it becomes clear that Solomon generally wrote these to his son, to those who were coming after him in order to communicate wisdom. Solomon himself was granted wisdom by God as a gift. He is the son of David, the third king over the kingdom of Israel in its glory days. When Solomon took over the kingdom after David, the Lord offered him anything. He really just said, hey, ask for me anything that you want. And Solomon prayed for what can be literally translated in 1 Kings chapter 3 as a listening heart. 
He prayed, give me a listening heart. Help me to have insight and understanding to be able to discern between good and evil and ultimately to be able to govern the Lord's people. That's what he prayed for. And this pleased the Lord, and the Lord promises Solomon that and so much more. He says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will even lengthen your days, according to 1 Kings chapter 3. Immediately following that account where Solomon prayed and the Lord granted his request for wisdom, we see Solomon exercising that wisdom. Two women approached Solomon arguing over the life of a child, and Solomon skillfully navigated that difficult situation. And all of Israel knew from that point that it was in Solomon, the wisdom of God was in Solomon for him to be able to do justice. I think Solomon's request there is instructive for us. He could have asked for anything. I wonder what you would have asked for. I wonder what I would have asked for at that point. If God showed up and said to me, hey, ask whatever you want. The reality is that we can have just about anything that we want. As a church, we're commanded to pray. Now I'll ask you this. When you pray, what do you pray for? What are the kind of things that you ask God for? Do you ask him for riches? Do you ask him for wealth? Do you ask him for health, a new job, a fancy car, a better house, a less annoying neighbor? Solomon prayed for what would help him to do what God called him to do. He prayed for what would help him to lead the people of God well. He prayed for wisdom. Again, what do you pray for? We are commanded to pray as God's people. Paul gives us an illustration of prayer in many of his letters, and in particular in the letter of Colossians. I read chapter 2 for our scripture reading this morning, but in chapter 1, Paul prayed specifically that the church would have wisdom. He prayed that God would grant them spiritual wisdom and understanding because he knew how important wisdom was for the church, especially in the context that they were in, where there were so many, again, competing philosophies trying to draw their attention away from fidelity to Christ. He says, God, give them wisdom to be able to see through that. Back to our text in Proverbs, Solomon was given the privilege to ask for anything, so he asked for wisdom, and so God granted him wisdom, and so he used that wisdom to rule over the people of God. And so Solomon was considered to be one of the wisest, if not the wisest men who walked the face of the earth, save for the Lord Jesus. So apart from the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus through the apostles, where else are we going to go for wisdom but from the lips of Solomon? And that's why we find ourselves in the Proverbs. Yet moving on in the text, we see who wrote the Proverbs. It was Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, the wisest person perhaps who walked the face of the earth, again, save for the Lord Jesus. Next, we'll consider why were the Proverbs written. Look again at verses 2 through 6. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Why were the proverbs written? Well, they were written to generally provide wisdom to all. And I would add that this applies to all wisdom literature in the Bible. Wisdom literature is a classification for any writing in the Bible that's aimed to provide wisdom to the hearer. Yes, the Proverbs, also there are some Psalms that would fall under the heading of wisdom literature. Other texts like Job or Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon would also fall under the heading of wisdom literature. 
But the point of the Proverbs, as we're looking at, at this text in particular, is to provide wisdom, to communicate wisdom as broadly as possible. Look again at verses 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To know wisdom and instruction. The idea of what it means to know is something very similar as we read through the Bible. To know involves a measure of intimacy. The same word is used to describe the depth of intimacy between a husband and a wife. It is thorough, intimate knowledge. It is knowledge not just in the abstract, but practical. The intent of the Proverbs, in other words, is to give the reader an intimate, personal, experiential knowledge of wisdom. Wisdom and instruction are paired together in verse 2. Wisdom is in the lead position. It is primary. This is to underscore the significance of wisdom in the overall message of the Proverbs. To know wisdom is a primary function of the wisdom literature in general, and Proverbs in particular. Well, you may ask, what is wisdom? Biblically, wisdom is different from just knowledge. Knowledge, you could say, is the possession of information. Wisdom is the ability to use that information in the best way possible in a way that leads to a successful life. In other words, wisdom has been concisely defined as skillful living. I've given this illustration before, but I, can, I, know, I know what a sewing machine is. I know what thread is. I, I know conceptually how to put needle in a thread and how to push a button so that the, the needle goes up and down. But, I, I mean, don't come to me and ask me to sew anything, because I really don't. Practically, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, right? So that's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You can know a bunch of information, but how to put that information into practice in the best possible way, that's wisdom. And that's what the Bible is getting at. Again, Solomon wrote the Proverbs in order to communicate primarily to his son how to live a life well in the context of a world that God has created. Again, they understood that we live in a world in which God is sovereign. The people of God knew this in particular because they had the law of God as their guiding truth, the standard of truth for them. Thus, the Proverbs, and again, all wisdom literature, if wisdom is skillful living, the Proverbs were written to help the, the reader, the hearer, to know how to live life well according to the law of God, according to God's standard, and how to apply that standard to everyday life and circumstances in a way that would be pleasing to God. The Proverbs in particular teach how to live life well in God's world through the use of general observations. There are many different kinds of observations that are made in the book of Proverbs, but they are general observations. In other words, we're not looking at all the Proverbs as specific truths that we can count on to happen um, every single time, 10 times out of 10, the Proverbs are, just like any other proverb, general truths and general observations. For example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3 says, The Lord does not let the, hungry, the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, I think we could all consider, we could all think of circumstances in which those who are righteous, and in the context of the Proverbs, the righteous are those who have faith in him, in God. Those who are righteous are at times hungry. And I think we could all figure out examples or illustrations where those who are wicked, meaning those who do not have faith in God, in the context of the Proverbs, those who are wicked are full. 
they're having plenty. They have no want. And so again, the Proverbs are general observations of general truth. It is generally true that when you live life well in accord with the will of God, in accord with the law of God, God will bless you. And that's the point of this proverb, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. And it is generally true, true that God will thwart the wicked, and he may not do it in real time, he may not do it today, but ultimately judgment is going to come to those who are wicked. And so again, Proverbs teaches by means of general observations and things that are generally true. Again, God is the sovereign ruler and judge, and so the question is, how do we live life well in God's world? And that is, the answer is, to live according to wisdom. Well, back to the text, wisdom is not alone. It's paired with instruction. The root of the word for instruction has more to do with correction. In other words, it is instruction, or in some translations, it is knowledge that is gained through correction. Yes, it would be wonderful if we all learned the life lessons that we need by someone simply telling us what we need to do. Parents all understand this. You may tell your children what they need to do, how they need to do it. As clear as you are, they will still at some times think they know better than you. Or they will think that your commands are too overbearing. Or they'll think that you don't understand. Or your commands are simply not important enough for them to actively listen and pay attention. Thus you hear responses like, I didn't hear or I forgot. But inevitably, they will at times disregard your instructions. So what happens? Well, there are consequences that come when they disregard your instructions. These may be consequences that you determine or natural consequences, like when the command don't run in a house is ignored, they run and they crash into a chair or a wall or stub their toe on some corner table and there's some significant injury. That's a natural consequence of them choosing to disobey. And as much as we would have loved for them to simply obey our instruction, there's no greater teacher than the pain of consequences. There's no greater instruction than correction that comes from disobedience. In this case, again, the Proverbs offers instruction or correction as well as wisdom. The point is that we need to learn both. No one is born wise. No one is born inherently knowing how to live life well under the sovereign rule of God. And no one is born with a wealth of experiential knowledge that comes from correction. We need to be taught both. The Proverbs aims to do that. It says to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. We need to know wisdom, skill for living. We need to know instruction. We need to learn what comes as a result of discipline or correction when we choose to disobey. He goes on further to explain the purpose of the Proverbs in the second half of the line. We also need to know how to understand what Solomon calls words of insight. These are words of insight taught to us by others, usually by those who are older in the society, those who have been there and done that. Words of insight are given. We need to be able to understand them, to parse them, to figure out how to apply them to our lives. And the Proverbs seeks to help us to do that. Moving on to verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. We need to know wisdom. Again, we need to know instruction. We need to understand the words of insight. These things are, will all be helpful for us as we seek to make decisions in life, again, in a world in which God is sovereign. But more than that, we need to receive instruction in what he calls wise dealing. 
the flavor of this term is intended to suggest the need to deal wisely with others, hence the qualifying terms of righteousness, justice, and equity. God is concerned with how we treat others, how we live life in this world. Much of the Proverbs addresses the various scenarios in which we interact with and engage with one another. And that ranges anywhere from relationships that we have with individuals in our lives to uh, relationships that we have in the marketplace. All of those kinds of things are addressed in the Proverbs. God is righteous. His dealings with us are righteous, just, and equitable. Therefore, he expects for us to deal with one another in a way that is righteous, just, and equitable. In other words, wisdom will always lead to a life that's characterized by these things. If you say that you're wise, but you're not living righteously, according to God's standard, then you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. If you say that you're wise, and you're not living in a way that is just and equitable, then you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Because this is what the Word of God says. Wisdom leads to righteousness, justice, and equity. This is what James says in James chapter 3. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be order disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who are wise will live in a way that is righteous in accord with the standard of God. Moving on in the text, the Proverbs generally communicate wisdom to all, but they also specifically communicate wisdom to some. Look at verse 4. It says the Proverbs give wisdom to those who are simple-minded, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. In this line of poetry, this is Hebrew poetry in the Proverbs, there's a repetition of ideas from the first half of the line to the second. Look at the text. To give prudence to the simple. Well, who are the simple? Nowadays, when we say that someone is simple, it's typically intended in a derogatory way. We're usually indicating that we think the person is lacking in the capacity for intelligence. But here, if we were to put the two halves of the line in parallel, the corresponding word in the second half of verse 4 is youth. The simple that Solomon has in mind here are, are those who are young. In other words, the group of people he's identifying are not lacking in mental capacity. They're not intellectually stunted. They're just young. They're young people. The simple are the young. The disadvantage of youth is that you simply have not experienced much of life. You don't have a large enough sample of life to be able to make the best kinds of decisions. That's the point. And that makes sense, right? No one wants to go to the first year doctor when they have a significant health concern or life-threatening illness. You want the person who's been around for years, the one who's studied in this particular area, practices in this particular area for years, has a track record of treating those who suffer in this particular area. You don't want the novice. As wonderful as it is that the person graduated summa cum laude or whatever cum laude they graduated, and with all kinds of honors, you don't want that person treating you if you have a life-threatening illness. You want the person who's got gray hair, they've been around, they've seen it, they've done it, because that gives you more confidence that you'll be able to get the right kind of treatment. The simple-minded, the youth, in the world of Proverbs, 
lack the ability to live skillfully in God's world because they have not lived long enough. They have not seen enough. They've not practiced enough of life to know how to apply God's truth, God's law, in their everyday experiences. But Solomon wants to impart that knowledge to them. And again, that's the most immediate use of the proverb. Solomon is writing primarily to his son. You'll see those references over and over again as you read through the proverbs. He's writing, he says, my son, do this, my son, do that. The simple-minded, the youth, need to be taught wisdom, their skill for living. They need to know instruction, corrective action. There are so many different parenting styles nowadays. Back in the day, the only parenting style was a switch or a belt, right? Everyone knew that. Everyone benefited from that. Nowadays, there's plenty of worldly wisdom, a semblance of teaching geared at helping children to know how to live life well in a world where there is, according to the experts, no God. There's also a definitive rejection of correction. No one wants to correct their child for fear of harming their sense of self-worth. Don't tell your children no. Don't tell them they've done something wrong. And please don't call them sinners because it's going to make them feel bad about themselves. They should be told all good things. And I get the sentiment, but if children don't learn that there is a right way and a wrong way to live now, or that there are consequences for our actions, and that those consequences only increase as they get older, if they don't learn that now, then they're going to grow up into adults who have no sense of boundaries. They're going to grow up into adults who don't understand that there are consequences for your actions, real consequences, consequences that will last into eternity because there is a God in heaven. He does rule and reign, and he will take us to account. They won't know how to respect authority if we just let them do whatever they want. Children, the young, the simple, need to know wisdom. They need instruction. Again, the root issue that Solomon is addressing is youth and inexperience in life, even though that's true. We know the reality is that there are many situations, again, when that even adults have yet to experience. And so at some point in our, all of our lives, even as we grow older, we can be described as simple-minded in a sense that we lack the experience and the know-how in a particular area, and thus we all need wisdom. Now, specifically, Solomon says here that the young need to be given prudence. Again, verse 4 is a repetition between the two halves of the poetic line. The simple in the first half of the line are the youth. In the second half of the line, that means that prudence is equivalent to and explained by the terms knowledge and discretion. Prudence is another word that's used synonymously of wisdom. But it explains a little bit more. In order to be prudent, in order to have wisdom, in a sense that the young need wisdom, you need knowledge, you need to know certain things about life that you don't know, again, when you're young because you just haven't experienced it yet. But you also need discretion. And discretion is the ability to distinguish between two different kinds of options. Discretion involves the ability to plan, to move forward in life along a certain path, particularly, again, when there are multiple options. How do you distinguish between two viable options in your life? How do you make decisions? Youth generally don't have that discretion because, again, they just haven't experienced that much of life. How do you know which school to choose? What process do you use to make that decision? If it's not something you've ever done before, it can be overwhelming, especially considering the consequences. You know the consequences will have lasting effects in your life. How do you know what kinds of friends to keep? 
One of the pitfalls of youth is a tendency for youth to assume that their peers can and should guide them in making life decisions when in fact their peers have the same measure of experience that they do in life. Perhaps they're a couple years ahead of them, but there's a perception, this doesn't only apply to youth, as we get older we tend to think this way too, there's a perception that our peers are our best counselors. When in fact, from the perspective of scripture, the disadvantage of youth, when it comes to counsel, is that they simply have not experienced as much, much of life as those who are older. And while it is difficult to accept wisdom from those who are older, because we tend to think that they don't understand our situation, the reality is that they've already been there. They've probably been there multiple times already over the course of their lives. Now, while we're on the topic, I think it's good to consider how do you actually make decisions in life, knowing that those decisions will have eternal consequences. This introductory section in the Proverbs doesn't provide an exact answer to that question, but I'd like to give you just a few things to consider. If you're trying to determine between two different options in life, you're trying to exercise discretion, you're trying to plan ahead, you're trying to move forward, you need wisdom, what are some things to consider? Well, first consider, is it righteous? Is it just? Is it equitable? Does it accord with God's word? This needs to be the first consideration. Obviously, the word of God is central in this topic, so we need to be constantly in the word of God to know what he commands but if there's one of these options that disregards or disobeys the command of God, then obviously you shouldn't choose it. Another consideration, will it help you to accomplish God's purposes? Or what if both of the options affirm God's revealed will? How do you decide then? Well, what has God called you to do, both generally and specifically? Generally, you know what his purposes are for the church. We're supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be loving one another. We're doing this for his glory. In the context of scripture, there are also multiple exhortations to those who are married, those who are single, those who are parents, those who are children. Which of these options and whatever decision it is that you're trying to make is going to help you to do that in the best possible way? So does it accord well with God's purposes? Is it righteous? Is it just? Is it equitable? Will it help you to accomplish God's purposes? Third, is there a clear path forward? I think sometimes people put this in the front, right? They put this as the first consideration in trying to make a decision. Is there an open door? Is the door open? Well, if the door is open, then that must mean that God wants me to walk through it. If the door is closed, that must mean that God doesn't want me to walk through it. Well, I mean, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. So the door being closed doesn't mean you shouldn't go through it. it maybe it means that you need to ask if you should go through it. Or you should knock on the door to see if someone's going to open. Right? So that's not the first consideration, but it is a consideration. Is there a clear path forward for one or the other of the options if you're trying to make a decision? Another consideration, have you sought godly counsel? Again, not just your peers, but those who are older, godly saints, those who have a track record of godliness. And typically you should find this in your church, in the congregation. Seeking them for counsel becomes extremely important. Yes, you obviously need to take time to pray on your own. You need to consider all of what I just mentioned, but you need to seek counsel from older godly saints to make sure that you're considering all the things that you need to. Because sometimes we have blind spots. And we think that we're thinking everything through the right way. And we may be convinced that we're thinking everything through the right way, but having someone else to talk it through with, someone else who's older and wiser and more godly, 
is going to help you to make sure that you don't have blind spots. And I'm, I mean, of course, we, we ought to be praying about these things. I didn't, I didn't specifically include that as one of the points, but um, I'm assuming that we're all going to be praying and asking for God's guidance in any decision that we need to make. Is it righteous, just, equitable? Will it help you to accomplish God's purposes? Is there a clear path forward? Have you sought godly counsel? Considering those things when you need to make a decision, I think will help you to walk the right path. Well, getting back to our point in the text, I think the simple fact as we've been thinking about um, the simple-minded, the youth, and the need for youth to seek godly counsel, I think that is just a reminder to us that we all, at different points in our lives, need godly counsel. I know that Paul emphasizes this in Titus chapter 2. He talks about the older teaching the younger and that speaks to the need for a multi-generational approach to church and to ministry. But again, back in our text, the Proverbs communicates wisdom generally to all. It communicates wisdom specifically to some, to those who are simple-minded, but also to those who are wise. Look at verses 5 and 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Someone may read the Proverbs and say, well, this is good for the youth, for those who like wisdom, but I've already been there and done that. I have wisdom. I'm a teacher of others. Why do I need to hear this? Well, those who are wise recognize wisdom when they see it or hear it. Those who are wise are always seeking to be wiser still. The myriad of situations that we encounter in life are not all addressed in the word of God. And though the Proverbs seeks to, to address a number of different scenarios, it can't possibly address them all. Therefore, we need wisdom and we'll continue to need wisdom in order to live skillfully throughout the course of our lives until we reach glory. We should always, at every point in our lives, be seeking to grow in wisdom. Again, look at what he says. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The wise, the one who understands, will read the Proverbs in order to increase in learning and obtain guidance. Just as Paul prayed for the church at Colossae to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he also prayed that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. We always need to be in pursuit of the wisdom of God. This pursuit will continue again into glory. Then we'll know things perfectly. Then we'll see things perfectly. Then we'll understand all of what God wants for us to understand. But until then, we need his wisdom. And we should always be pursuing his wisdom. In James chapter 1, we're told, if you lack wisdom, what? Ask of God. Seek after his wisdom. If you consider yourself wise, that ought to be in your heart at all times, that I need to constantly be seeking the face of God for his wisdom in life. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. These are various forms of wisdom literature. The point in referencing these is to affirm that same reality. The wise do what they can to seek after wisdom. In whatever form they can find it, the wise are always seeking, always pursuing, always striving to know more. And we know ultimately wisdom comes from the word of God, from the lips of God, from his standard, knowing his standard, knowing his truth, knowing the principles that he set forth in scripture. I wonder, do you consider yourself to be wise? If you do, do you show that you're wise by pursuing wisdom? 
actively pursuing wisdom, not just sitting back and hoping for wisdom to hit you by osmosis. Like for somebody wise just to rub shoulders with you and you automatically to become wise. Or to have your Bible sitting on your shelf every single day collecting dust and then, you know, brush it off on Sunday morning and bring it with you. And then you open it up and then you look at it and then you see. Do you have a plan to regularly read and study God's word? Do you make the gathering of the church a priority because that is where the word of God is preached? That is where the people of God exercise their gifts for the good of the body. Do you look for other opportunities to hear the word of God? We have Sunday school. We have Bible study. Do you make coming to those things a priority in your week? Or is it more important for you to listen to the wisdom of the world through television? Your phone conversations with friends, conversations with neighbors. And again, do you fervently pray for wisdom? Oh, we've already talked about who wrote the Proverbs, Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, the one who was supernaturally granted an abundance of wisdom. Why were they written? They were written to provide wisdom generally to all. Solomon aimed to provide wisdom and instruction, both how to live skillfully in a world in which God is sovereign and what it looks like when we do not, that corrective aspect. He also sought to provide the same kind of wisdom to enable believers to gain instruction and wise dealing so that they would deal with one another with righteousness, justice, and equity. He sought to provide wisdom specifically to those who are simple-minded, to the youth, to those who have very little experience in life, and also to provide wisdom to those who are wise so that they can continue to increase in wisdom. Our final question from the short section is, who needs the wisdom of the Proverbs? We find that in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Well, who needs the wisdom of the Proverbs? those who fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I think we've come full circle to what we discussed in the beginning. To fear the Lord is to have faith in Him. It is to believe in Him. It is to believe Him to be God. It is to believe Him to be the sovereign ruler of creation. It is to know and believe that that is who He is. And that, just as Solomon says at the end of Ecclesiastes 12, He will bring every deed into judgment. Even every secret thing, whether good or evil. God will bring every deed into judgment. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you must also believe that every decision you make, every choice you make, will be brought into judgment by the same God. And therefore, every decision you make, every choice you make, does count for eternity. If you understand that and you believe that, then you understand what it means to fear the Lord. You may have heard the term the fear of the Lord defined wholly in terms of worship and honor. Fear does involve honoring the Lord. It does involve worship. But that worship stems from, again, a root of faith in him, trust in him that he is God, confidence in him that he is just, and an awareness in him, awareness that we are accountable to him because he is the judge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge here is being used synonymously with wisdom. This is the heartbeat of the book of Proverbs and all wisdom literature. Can, there can be no knowledge, no understanding, no skillful living if you do not first fear the Lord. The Old Testament prophesied the coming of one who would embody the wisdom of God. Isaiah chapter 11 says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. 
God is so concerned with communicating not just his person, but also his wisdom to people that he sent forth the embodiment of wisdom into the world. The New Testament affirms that this Messiah, the embodiment of wisdom, is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the one chosen as Messiah to judge. The one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests. The one by whom the judgment of the Lord will come. According to Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world through the righteousness of the man whom he raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said while he was here, in John chapter 5 verse 27, that all judgment had been given to him by the Father. In his first coming, Jesus affirms in his second coming, in Revelation chapter 22, that he is coming to judge. In fact, he says, I am coming quickly, and I have judgment in my hand. Knowledge, wisdom, begins with faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2 that it is in Christ that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And again, he said that in a letter written to the church at Colossae to encourage them to stay faithful to Christ in a context of a hostile world where, again, those various philosophies and ideologies are trying to draw them away from Christ. He's saying, trust in Jesus, put your faith in him, and stay close to him. Keep your attention on him. Seek the true and living God by faith in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, and judge of all things. You cannot begin to know how to live well in a world that God has created apart from Jesus Christ. Stay close to him. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made full. He who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is fully God, and in him and in no one else, you are made full. You are made complete. You want to know what it means to be complete. You want to know what it means to be the best possible person, human, that you could be. You can't find that in anyone other than Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven in him. The reality is that we do not always live according to the law of God. We do not always follow his commands. We fall short of his standard, but in Christ. And in Christ alone, we are forgiven. Our debt is paid because he paid it with his life. He shed his precious blood for us. And not only that, but he gives us new life. He doesn't ask us to carry around the same old, dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, wicked heart that we had before knowing him. But he gives us a new heart. And he gives us of his Holy Spirit. So that the fullness of his grace and mercy, the fullness of the wisdom that was on him, would now reside in us. In him we are made complete. I think sometimes we need, when we need wisdom for some decision in life, even as believers, we forget who our God is. We forget that our God is the sovereign ruler of creation. He is the one who established the world by his wisdom. He is the one whose wisdom is unsearchable. He is the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. He is the one whose wisdom planned and implemented the plan of our salvation to bring about our forgiveness, to give us new life, to make us a part of his church, 
His plan to redeem humanity. We're so busy and worried about what may or may not happen, so busy looking for the exact right answer and worried that if we don't have the exact right answer, the whole world will fall apart. When we know the one who created the world and who sustains the world by his power and who has given us new life and who holds us in the palm of his hand. We know him. But what are you worried about? We know him. If you need help, ask him for wisdom. There's no greater source. Do you believe that? Are you trusting in him? God has made you complete in him. Like our text in the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The clearest difference in the mind of God between the wise and the fool is that the wise acknowledge, trust, and fear the sovereign ruler of creation, and the fool disregards him. The fool does not believe in him. The fool does not fear him. They do not believe in him. They do not fear him. They do not fear his coming judgment. They do not believe that what we do today counts for eternity, and therefore they see no need for wisdom or correction. They chart their own path. They determine what's right and wrong in their own eyes. They reject the wisdom of God, what God says is living rightly. The text says they despise wisdom and instruction. In case you're wondering, yes, this applies to children, but it also rightly applies to any of us throughout the course of our lives. Any of us who are unwilling to be corrected, any of us who assume that our will and our way is right above and beyond anything else, the person for whom that applies is a fool. One author said this, fools are arrogant and refuse correction. They are worse than the inexperienced because they aren't open to changing their minds. This means that really, really smart people can actually be fools. The question we all need to ask ourselves is, what category am I in? You know, the fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be a sacrifice for sins is the ultimate form of correction. Those who reject Jesus are rejecting the correction that God has provided to humanity for their sins. And they are, by definition, fools for doing so. I wonder again, do you consider yourself to be wise? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe him to be God's correction of humanity? Do you believe him to be the embodiment of wisdom, the one in whom you can be made full? Have you trusted in him to give you that new life? How do you respond to the word of God? How do you respond to his will? How do you respond to correction from his word? I ask the question, who needs wisdom? The answer is that those who fear the Lord need wisdom and those who don't fear the Lord need wisdom. They need wisdom to look not to themselves, but to the one who is greater. They need to look to him in faith, to look to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us all to provide for us forgiveness and to grant us the wisdom of God. Again, do you know his wisdom today? Do you need his wisdom today? Do you desire in life not merely to have an answer to the next big question, 
but much more to be able to answer that question in a way that pleases God. That is the purpose of wisdom. I'll give you one more quote. The author says, how can we be wise like this? How can we learn to read situations and make wise decisions? How do you get this multifaceted wisdom? As we'll see throughout the book, Solomon says that all wisdom is religious or spiritual in nature because it's only through a relationship with the Lord that one can be wise. The fear of, the reverence for the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and discipline, but the wise person is the one who fears, trusts, and honors the Lord. This is the first step and essential component in gaining wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs is quite clear that the way to get wisdom is to depend on God rather than yourself. The everyday, nitty-gritty details of your life are to be lived in fear of God. There's no sacred and secular divide in your life. We so often think that going to church and mission efforts and quiet times are the godly things we do in life. Other things like our work, our kids' soccer teams, or how we spend our money are the secular or neutral parts in life. Solomon crushes that, he says. The everyday decisions that we make are to be done in the fear of the Lord. And the everyday decisions we make reveal whether or not we fear the Lord. God is concerned with your whole life. The everyday decisions we make are indicators of whether we fear him or not. How you eat dinner, how you finish tasks assigned to you, how you spend money, how you parent your kids, how you respond to your parents are all before the Lord. Every nook and cranny of your life is to be governed by God. End quote. Now say what I said at the beginning. Everything that you do, every choice that you make will have eternal consequences. That is because the eternal God is sovereign over your life, and he will evaluate your life according to his glory. That is why we need his wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, living in a way that is righteous, just, equitable in your dealings with others, having discretion, gaining understanding in life, all of these things are ultimately the gift of God to those who come to him by faith in his Son. Do you need wisdom in this new year? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and faith and his son is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. And only fools despise wisdom and instruction.